And I am so glad to be here with you all today. Amen? What a place to be. It's so good to have you all. I want to start today by celebrating a few things. First, we have four baptisms today, as has been mentioned already. That's a big celebration. And thank you for some of you guests, some family members that came and, uh, to witness that today. It's going to be great at the end of the service. A couple other things, though. We had a team huddle yesterday, a day of training yesterday, and we had 60 people right here in this room and then across the campus. Yeah, you were there. It was that good, wasn't it? Amen, yeah. And uh, we looked at the, the 25 goals that we have for our church for the year 2022. We looked at our, our new vision statement and how each ministry can work that through. And I just want to thank you and say we have a lot of great leaders in this church. That is a blessing from Jesus for his church. So <clears throat> praise God for that. Then celebrating a Christmas, a generous Christmas offering uh, thank you so much for your generosity over the Christmas season to give toward four different focuses. Uh, the elders met, we celebrated our goal was $40,000, and we reached $40,187. That was awesome. I mean, that's just God smiling at you. And there's where the money went, and um, I, all of the church's ministry operates by your generous giving, and that's a, that's a great act of worship that Jesus gave for us all. I just want to say thank you and celebrate those things. The next thing is not a celebration, but a call to prayer. Obviously, you've heard the, the news. There is the biggest war going on since war, World War II in the world, Russia's attack in Ukraine. And if you're, if you're like me, you've read articles, seen stories, seen videos from lots of different perspectives, and your heart just breaks a little bit more with each one. But some amazing reports are given about the spiritual dynamics, the church dynamics, global dynamics, historic, you know, his, historical dynamics, things that are going on. We do need to be interested in this, but here's our prayers. I pray that, <clears throat> I, I want to ask you to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you've seen some of the things, their life is very hard, but their faith is, is very strong, and we need to pray for their strength and faith to increase. We want to pray for the gospel of peace to advance, because that's what the world needs. We're going to proclaim that today, and pray for God's global church to be roused through this, including Warsaw Community Grace. Amen? All right. The Bible text that we have today that God has prepared for us today is exactly what the world needs and what we have to offer it. This is the most important thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus and us following Jesus, the King. We're in Matthew chapter 10. If you haven't opened your Bibles, please do. Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have a bulletin, I highly recommend a bulletin today. It's got things in it that you need. Just raise your hand. Mr. Chris Rager will put one in your hand with a pen. Just hold your hand up high and be ready as we go. If you were here the last two weeks, we went through Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 9, and in those two magnificent chapters, Jesus, one thing right after another was displaying with power his what? What was the key word? Authority, so good. I know it's so hard to remember from week to week. Good job, Ellie. All right. His authority over what? Over everything. Over everything. Death, disease, demons, disasters, depression, everything. He's authority. He's God. He's the king of kings. He's the creator. He's the Lord. This is Jesus now, after, after chapters 8 and 9, he comes to the point where he has today, and he's going to launch what the rest of the New Testament 
and the rest of Christian history, the rest of world history is all leading up to, and that's following him, his plan A for the world. He gives today in chapter 10 the, the initiation of his training. He's launching his strategies to reach his world with his gospel through his people. Lord willing, that is you and me, or will be by the end of today if you give your life to Christ today. He will say, using farming language, that this world is a harvest field. So here's a picture of a harvest, a field that's ready for harvest. Our big question today is, how do his followers, which is what the word disciple means, means follower, we're following the king, we're followers of Jesus, how do his followers become reapers in this great harvest field of people, the greatest harvest field in the universe? And in a world filled with unrest and war, this is how Jesus releases us from bondage, releases us from spiritual death to life, sends his gospel of peace into the world through his church for his glory. He begins his strategy today. So hear the words of the Lord as we journey through a lot of text. We're going to see that it is hard, there is opposition, and it takes training. And that's what Jesus has for us today. That's what Matthew 9:35 through chapter 10 is all about. Jesus launches his strategy today. And here's where it begins. The king's strategy has a purpose. And you have to know the why before you get into the what and the how. Have you ever heard that before? Everybody needs to know your why. You got to know the why. You got to know the purpose. It helps to know the why. Look at the picture on the screen with me here. This is from a business lecture, but it makes a lot of sense here. What? Every single organization on the planet knows what they do. How? Some organizations know how they do what they do. Why? Few can clearly articulate why they do what they do. Why does your organization exist? Why do you get out of bed? Why should anyone care? It's very helpful for all of us to know our why, our purpose. Once you grasp that, if you agree with it and align your life to it, you can run through a brick wall for the why, the purpose. And this is where Jesus starts in his strategy. Our God-given significance, purpose, meaning, and motivation in life. It's no surprise that at the outset of Jesus' training day, he's going to start with the why. Start with me in Matthew 9, 35 and 36. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This is the bridge verse from all the great works he was doing in chapters 8 and 9. In other words, he continued all that. Now, at that time, there's about 200 villages and cities in the Galilee area, about 3 million people. And he's going all around, and he sees the people, and he comes to this point in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He'd seen a lot of people, a lot of pain, a lot of mess. Jesus had compassion on people. That's why he was here. Literally, the word for compassion is agony, like when someone you love is suffering and you're in agony over them, like your heart's literally going to explode over, over the suffering that they're enduring. This is the intensity 
of Jesus' compassion. He knows, he sees that humans are a real mess. Without a shepherd's guidance, we are weary, worn out, stressed out, harassed. Without a shepherd, we're heading to pursue in rebellion against Jesus to our own pleasures, to be our own God, and he knows we're lost and stand condemned to a righteous God. And so he came, this is why he left his home in heaven to be one of us, to seek and save that which is lost. This is his why, the why that he's even there, and he calls us all to share that same purpose for our life. And it's why today he launches his discipleship strategy, his plan A to, for his church to reach his world, and he has no plan B. This is it. So with that purpose in mind, why Jesus is here and why we're all here, we arrive where King Jesus' strategy starts, and it starts where everything starts, must start, needs to start, and that is the King's strategy. Step one is pray. This is where everything starts, brothers and sisters. I study the Word, I preach the Word, and I can't, I, it's just always blown my mind how Old Testament, New Testament, anywhere in the Word, in the word you see the big things that happen always begin in prayer. Cry out to God and healing comes, rescue comes. Pray, pray. And so there's no surprise that Jesus taught us first, pray. He gives the greatest commission ever given by a king to reach the harvest field of the entire human race. But we cannot do it alone. It begins with God. Verse 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, what's the first step? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Please, Community Grace, notice that Jesus did not say, there's a great need, now go meet that need. He said, there's a great need, pray. long been convicted that when we say prayer, I'll pray for you, it's the least I can do. That's totally opposite. It's totally upside down. It's the most we can do. It's the most we can do. Make sure that you're devoted to it. And then that leads to everything else. Pray every day, every day, throughout the day. Pray without ceasing, he says. Pray with your family and friends. Enjoy praying with your family and friends and the, and the bond and the power in that. Open your prayer journal or your prayer app every day, every day. Pray at a set time, a dedicated time each day to ensure that you don't miss a day. Prayer meetings in church are often the smallest meetings. Let's blow that out of the water. We have a prayer meeting. We have lots of prayer meetings in the church. The next one coming is this Wednesday night at 645, our prayer hour. It's in a classroom. If we outgrow it, we'll find a new room. Just come and pray. Pray all the time. That gets God moving. It begins with God, and you're not powerless to do the work that he's calling you to. After prayer, Jesus still doesn't say yet, now go and reap. There's something else. King Jesus' strategy number two after prayer is gather. You can't do this alone. Shouldn't even try or want to. Jesus will have many followers during his three years of ministry on earth. He'll have hundreds of people follow him. He'll, he'll have his 70 that he sends out. He'll have 72 that he sends out. He has his 12 that we read most about. And in the 12, he's got 
his inner circle, his three, remember their names? Peter, James, and John, who he has a lot of special relationship and training with. But here as chapter 10 begins, we see the first full list of the 12, the 12 disciples. Let's see what we see in these verses. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. He has all authority. He gives us authority. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, and this is our author. He gave his little testimony last week. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot who hated tax collectors and would kill them. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The apostles are a group with a remarkable amount of diversity. These are people that would normally not like each other, hate each other. And isn't that what Jesus does? He is the one who tears down the dividing wall of hostility between people groups. And he did that in his disciples, and there's a great lesson in that for the church who's following Jesus. Different ethnicities, different backgrounds that would normally hate each other are brought together in oneness and unity with Christ as our king. Very cool. The language here as he's giving them these orders is military-like. It's a military structure of the language. It's like a commander calling soldiers to give them orders, and that's what he does. He calls them, empowers them with authority, and then the rest of chapter 10 are those orders. You ready? We're going on a journey. If you have your notes in front of you, you see eight points. Now, that's a lot. We have a purpose. We have the most important purpose in the universe. We don't do it on our own power because we pray. We don't do it alone because we gather. And for the first time in Matthew today, We get our orders. Jesus' strategy launches for us to follow the king to the very end. Let's get these orders from King Jesus together. Step three is now go. Go. To be saved and commissioned to go by the king of all kings is a great honor, an unspeakable, awesome joy. Now, hear the instructions of Christ the King. These are important for us to know. We know the why. Now let's talk about how and what. And I was successfully able to organize these eight points with P words, eight P words. I was very proud of that. Okay. I had five or six, and I'm like, could I do this? Could I finish all eight with P words? All right, this is hopefully to help you remember them. You're not going to remember them long, but I hope that in this training of Jesus today, it will shape you to be the followers of Christ the King that he is calling us to be. The first one is we prioritize. All right, hear the training from our master, Jesus. We prioritize based on need, opportunity, and calling. For these disciples on this training day, here's what Jesus had them do. Verses 5 and 6. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them on this day, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, it's important that we have to interpret the Bible correctly. 
We can't say, oh, look, Jesus sent, he said, don't worry about the Gentiles, only the, only the Jews, the house of Israel. Well, we know that's not true for us today because the Great Commission is, is to go to all nations. So see this for what it is. This is how you interpret the Bible. This was the training for that day, but we can draw out the principle from it. Let's see what we can draw out to apply to us today. We start with our community. Acts 1.8 says, the Holy Spirit's going to give you power. Go to Jerusalem first. You're Jerusalem first. That's what he's doing here. You go to your people, your community first, and then go out to the ends of the earth from there. That's consistent with Jesus' instructions. And that's why we've prioritized reaching our community with the good news of, of Jesus. One of the ways we've done that is with 10 grace in action events we're scheduling. We haven't got all 10 of them on the calendar yet, but we got the first two next month in March, and this was already mentioned. You can come up and look at these, by the way. We have a fossil turtle, petrified wood. Fossil turtles are heavy, as it turns out. And a Tyrannosaurus Rex who is inviting his friends to come and find out the questions in everybody's soul. Does God exist? Do I have a purpose? How did we get here? Where are we going? Dr. Don DeYoung is going to lead us in two weeks, Saturday and Sunday, five sessions. Please invite everybody and come and be ready to have those questions answered. And we especially pray for people to come to Christ. All right, so we're, we are reaching our community through lots of other means and measures at Community Grace. This is what Jesus said. So prioritize the need, the opportunity, and the calling. And as Jesus' people and churches are obedient, the world gets reached. Okay, so we have our plans, our callings as we pray. God gives those to us. Second, we proclaim Jesus. We go proclaiming Jesus. Our message is the gospel, that lost people can find salvation, forgiveness for their sins, spiritual life, relationship with God, a place in God's family. When we turn to Jesus, we live. We preach the word. And in verses 7 and 8, we see that Jesus says, proclaim this message and to include our testimonies. Very neat. Verses 7 and 8, proclaim, Jesus says, he's giving them instructions, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in Jesus. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. We do this freely. With that power, they could charge a lot of money. But no, it's not about money. It's about proclaiming Jesus, the gospel. The best news in the world. Now go and tell everyone these things that you've learned from God and that you've seen and heard and done. Use your testimony. What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you done? We have four people getting baptized today, and that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to proclaim Jesus and tell you about what has happened, what they've seen and heard and done. That's really, really neat. So we prioritize where we're going, where we're called. We proclaim Jesus, but there's more. There's more we need to know. The next stage of, a strat of Jesus' strategy is to practice, get out there, on-the-job training, this is an internship, following Christ. Let's see what the special training is and what we can glean from it. Verses 10, 9 and 10. He said, as you go, proclaim Christ. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey. 
or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. What do we find here in Jesus' training school? Two things. One is we need to depend on God. We Americans especially depend on our stuff, our education, our money, our strategies, our buildings, our technology. All those things are great tools, but never to depend on. In fact, I kind of like it when equipment breaks down and we all kind of laugh. There's a good spirit here. We don't depend on that equipment. We depend on God, whether we have the equipment or not. But also, we don't need to take those. He's telling them you don't need to take all that stuff because you're going to find out that God will take care of you when you're out doing his ministry. People will share with you. You're going to be taken care of. Okay, so here they go. They're sent out, shirts on their backs, gospel in their heart, fire in their soul, but the training's not over. We prioritize, we proclaim Jesus, we practice, and the next part of Jesus' strategy has become actually a really common mission strategy today. That's we go to the persons of peace. As you go out into the world, you're going to come against opposition, and he'll talk about that in just a moment. But what you're looking for are the people who are receptive to your message. Let's look at verses 11 through 15. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, and he'll define worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. In other words, get out of there. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. That means get over it, don't worry about it, move on. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the, on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town who heard about Jesus and willingly, consciously chose to reject him. So we have all this assurance and we have these instructions. We go, we tell everybody about Jesus, but we look especially for the purpose to connect with, we look especially to connect with the people of peace who are receptive. And over and over in Jesus' ministry, that's exactly what he does. He looks for the people who want to follow and everybody else, he lets them walk away. And he tells us to do the same. Now, as our compassion grows for everyone, this, this hurts because we have a heart that everybody comes to Christ. But it may not be their time yet. They might come to Christ next year. But if it's not their time, he says, and he instructs this throughout the Gospels, connect with the people who are ready and spend your time mostly with them. Jesus let them walk away, and he told us to do the same, to focus on the people who are ready to hear, hungry, humble. And that's important for our sanity as well. We can work with people, anybody, anybody who's ready to be worked with. All right, Jesus' strategy continues. We prioritize, we proclaim, we practice, we get out there. We look for the people who are most receptive, the persons of peace. Now take a deep breath because Jesus is going to increase his intensity, his seriousness a lot. How else do we go in order to reap a harvest? We go persecuted. For glory, but persecuted. As we proclaim Jesus and follow him and act like him and take on his values that are righteous, 
It will be costly. It will be dangerous. But we will never be alone and we'll never be sorry for the cost. Be sure to hear these instructions and warnings and blessings in these next 10 verses, verses 16 through 25. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. We need to know this. It's fine. We just need to know this. So the first thing he says about that, okay, you're going to be in the midst of wolves. Wolves are very dangerous to sheep, by the way. So first instruction, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I love, I've had and led training on this verse right here. This is a masterful way that Jesus wants his followers to be towards other people. It's called Jesus' serpent-dove strategy. This is great for small group leading, discussion leading, for counseling, for parenting, for any interpersonal relationship. Here's how we're to be as we're following Christ and, and like Jesus. First of all, how is a snake? What does a snake do? What's a snake like when they're hunting? Are they going crazy? No. They're sitting, right? They're patient. They're coiled up. They're waiting for their prey. And when their prey gets close, they strike! <laughs> I saw somebody sleeping, so I had to do that. No, I didn't. I didn't really, but you're not sleeping anymore. Okay. That's what a serpent does. And they strike, and they either inject poison and kill their prey, or they squeeze them to death, and they kill. And they're wise, and they're shrewd, and that's exactly how Jesus wants us to be, but that's not all. Okay. We balance that with, what's a, what's a dove like? Peaceful, gentle, represents peace, comforting, and loving. And so here's the thing. When we're out there serving Christ in a dangerous world, we need to be ready and watchful and mindful and ready and waiting and patient for the right timing, for the right moment to strike. But when we strike, we strike with gentleness and God's love and truth and care and compassion not to be taken advantage of, not to be angry and mean like the rest of the world and hateful and lethal. See how Jesus wants his followers to be. Jesus says we will be persecuted, but he promises that he is always with us. Verses 17 through 20. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake. You will be canceled. You might be dragged before the school board. You might be fired from your job. You'll be dragged there to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Look at this promise, this assurance in verses 19 and 20. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about, about being there, about that moment, about how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. What a great assurance from Christ that His Spirit will be in us and work through us. But here's the thing, when we stay in our comfort zone, when you stay on your couch and when you don't go out and don't do anything risky or remarkable for Jesus, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to do anything in your life. He's inactive. It's when you get out of your comfort zone and go and have those conversations that might get you in trouble 
That's when the Spirit of the living God empowers you. His presence is with you when you need it the most. Verse 21, we will also be betrayed even by family members. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. He's just preparing them for the reality of a life following him. It will hurt, but Jesus is worth it, and the truth wins out in the end. So be ready. Be ready to be hated. Verse 22, when you, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When you're proclaiming Christ, you know, a lot of people are going to be really happy about that. They're going to be so grateful and appreciative, and you're going to grow in him together in this truth that we share and the fellowship of brothers and sisters who we share eternity with is very awesome and sweet. However, by others, you'll be hated from all directions, even in your family or government powers or religious people or progressive Christians that don't like the real Jesus, the real Jesus. You follow him, people are going to hate you. Be ready for that. Now, he's going to give a great assurance, but before, he's got a little bit more to say here. Verses 23 through 25, we will also be persecuted. Verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, not if, when, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. In other words, keep on going, keep your chin up, Keep on going. You're not going to run out of people in this great harvest field of, of, of humanity before I return, my second coming. <clears throat> Just keep after it. Now he says, I think what makes very good logical sense, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which they had just done in the previous chapter, how much more will they malign those of his household? Some of you have been forced out of a job in the last year for standing on your principles. And lots of us have been alienated from groups or teased or mocked. And even worse, attacks on Christians and martyrdom, people dying for their faith in Jesus around the world is at an all-time high in human history. There's more persecution of Christians happening right now in the world, in this massive worldwide apostasy. It's happening right now. The goal of a disciple is to be like his master, his teacher. And so we share in the sufferings of Christ, and he says there's great glory when you do. No problem. We got that. He's training us. This is what we can expect. Like Jesus, be persecuted but be persecuted without fear. That's where he goes next. He says, persecuted, yes, but we are also protected by God. Protected by God. Jesus' words are comforting here and empowering. He says three times in the next six verses, do not fear. Have no fear. I've said some intense stuff. No need to fear. Let's look. 26 and 27. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. 
have no fear. Hear this. I need to tell myself this too. Have no fear to be a follower of Jesus. The second no fear is where we learn to fear God. Verse 28, and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Memorize this verse. This is a great quote. I'll say it often. Those who don't fear God will fear everything else. And those who do fear God will fear nothing else. The worst they can do is kill us. Consider what God can do to the unrepentant, rebellious heart. Now with that strength there, Jesus promised protection when we live with no fear. Starting in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Fear not, therefore, for you are more valuable to God than sparrows, many sparrows. If God cares immensely for the lowest of creation, he, how much does he care for the highest of creation, those who he made in his image? Humans. He cares for you and for me, the almighty God. Verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Another one to memorize. You know, look, a Christian can get through life with no persecution. It's possible by just never talking about Jesus. But that is exactly what Satan wants you to do. And therefore, I'd call it satanic. It's selfish and shameful. You've been saved by the blood of Jesus. Proclaim it. That's what he calls us to. A simple question for you all to think about right now is, does everyone in your life know that you're a follower of Jesus? They need to. Proclaim it from the housetops. Who he is and what he's done for you. All right, Jesus Mission Training School, we're three quarters of the way through. We prioritize, we proclaim, we practice, we find the persons of peace. We are persecuted, but we are protected. So again, take a big breath, because Jesus is holding nothing back from this training. One more intense section before the promise. All right, we go passionately loving. It takes passion to love people who hate you. It takes passion to love people who are hurting you and persecuting you. Jesus' intensity climaxes here. Though the ultimate end is peace, and we look forward to that, the immediate result of the gospel in following him is conflict. Verses 34 through 39. <clears throat> Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are some of the most intense words in the entire Bible. Hear Jesus speaking to you. We should not be surprised to think that giving our lives to King Jesus wouldn't lead to the separation of relationships, even family. One person believes and has changed, but others haven't believed, not yet. So they're not changed. They're opponents. And they treat you a different way, but we shouldn't treat them any other way but passionately loving them back. The sword is a metaphor for separation. It's inevitable separation. And remember, Jesus' own family rejected him and did not believe him Thought he was crazy until they came around at the cross when they came to know his true identity. That happened to Jesus, even. It's happened to many of you. I know. I've heard, I've heard stories, and I've seen great faith. In the Muslim world, virtually any Muslim who comes to faith in Christ, and they're super joyful that they have, but that's one of the consequences. It separates you from your family, from your community, often violently, and Sarah and I, my wife Sarah and I read a, a book recently, a new book from Rosaria Butterfield, if you know that name. She's a Christian author who was formerly uh, a lesbian, feminist, philosophy professor at a major university who came to Christ and is now hated by the LGBTQ community, much of it, though she still loves them passionately. And many have come to Christ as a result of her passionate love, proclaiming Jesus. It looks differently for all of us, but the separation is natural, and Jesus is saying, just be ready for it, love them passionately, and see what I'll do as a result through you and through your love. So we are ready. Jesus tells us to take up our cross. Did you see that in the text? This is the first time the word cross appears in the book of Matthew. There's no other teaching about cross to this, to this point, but they're under Roman occupation, remember, and the cross was their main way to do serious executions. I mean, dead bodies hanging on crosses. They understand what Jesus is saying here. Take up your, your cross and follow me. All right? This is a death to our own selfishness and our own self-pursuits to pursue Christ and his ultimate purpose of the harvest field of souls that need to be set free to come to spiritual life through the gospel of Jesus. So that was powerful to them when he says that, but it's not doom and gloom, death. It's losing our life in order to find it for the first time. It's the best news ever that we get to do this. Let's review one more time before we finish. We prioritize, we proclaim Jesus. We practice. None of us is really good at it at first. We get better. It's all right. God works through our, our feeble efforts to proclaim Jesus. We find the persons of peace, those who we spend most time with, the people who are receptive and hungry and humble. We are persecuted, but are protected. And we return all of that with passionate love in return, no matter what. And in the end, we are, number eight, promised the king's rewards. You take the ultimate risk. You inherit the ultimate reward. You support those who do Jesus' work, and you receive his rewards. 
Friends, brothers and sisters, Jesus' call is hard, but it's one of the greatest joy and satisfaction. Verses 40 and 40 through 42. Whoever receives you receives me. What a great promise as they go. Whoever receives me receives, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. There's a lot of rewards going around. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Our next steps today are simply Jesus' strategy to pray. Don't miss the first step. Pray, gather. We're not in this alone. We are here to pick each other up and support each other, keep us accountable on track, have fun, all those things as we go back out into the world to get beat up a little bit more. We go, and we go with all of the things that Jesus just instructed us. And as we do, we have the assurance of receiving the prophet's reward. And then he adds, for any help given along the way, they'll receive the prophet's reward too. You know what I see there? I see all the little hidden jobs of supporting people to enhance the church's work. You, you all do so much little jobs, big jobs, to bring to the church to health and proclaim Jesus out into the community. You all receive God's rewards for that. Keep it up. He is good. Again, we have vision statements and goals for this church that we set out to accomplish in 2022 that require the hands and feet and efforts of all of you who are a part of this church. You will not lose your reward as you're all in following Jesus. Once again, how do we go? We prioritize, we proclaim Jesus, we practice, and we'll improve. We find the persons of peace. We are persecuted, but are protected to passionately love people in return and are promised God's rewards. Let's pray and give our lives to Christ.